Samantha, obviously everybody always says, oh, the great thing about this play is the man is the feminist. I, I think it is wonderful, the sort of the way that you swap them around. But your heroine, Kate, is quite extreme as well, isn't she? I mean, you've got Steve is extremely one thing, but she's quite extreme in her wish to be swept off her feet, possibly, at least in her head, she thinks she does. Yes, I think she's, you know, she's struggling with an issue which I think lots of my female friends have faced, and I certainly have, and um, this idea that you, you're a feminist and it stops as soon as you go into your romantic life, and then you want Heathcliff, you want Rochester, you want Rhett Butler, you want someone to just sweep you off off your feet, and I sort of started wondering why that was, you know, why I was, I'm very committed to feminism in the workplace, in my political life, and then f for a long time it would just sort of peter out and so Kate has that issue as well. So, so was that the starting point then? I mean that, I, I'm fascinated really by this all your characters have a lot of hinterland so some of that's got, obviously got to be researched but I wondered if we could start by talking about where these are people you know or parts of you or that sort of thing. Well Kate came from that I gave her the same sort of issue that I have in a slightly more extreme way, I think. And I just wanted to play with the idea on the page and then later on the stage, what would happen if she tried to fancy someone else? Because I started thinking that actually, you know, we, we can use our brains a little bit in who we choose to end up with. It's really important who you end up with. It's probably the most important decision you make in your life. It affects everything else. It might affect where you live. It might affect whether you have children and how you bring them up. It affects absolutely everything that you do. Um, it, it might affect your work. And I just felt that this decision was important and to sort of leave it to a sort of swooning fainting being swept up vagueness was a bit mm. odd so I wanted to sort of see can you change can you decide I'm going to go out with a feminist man now what will happen if, if I do you know can I so Kate has that sort of curiosity as well when she meets a man who says he's a feminist she thinks well maybe I could do that and I just thought it would be an interesting way of playing it out and to see for myself as well whether that would be you know, a thing that could happen. Well, I suppose I really want to talk about Steve. I mean, did you just construct him as someone who was the opposite, or where does he come from? Because, I, I, I mean, I'm just going to say a stupid thing, I'm going to say I rather fell in love with Steve. <laughs> I think a lot of people fall in love with Steve. Um, I hope people do, because mm. I think he's lovely in a lot of ways. He's always too extreme, and he has to learn mm. to be less extreme, and I think that is important. But, I uh, know I had met men who were a bit like that, and I hadn't fancied them, and I had wondered why. And I was just interested in how a man who is a feminist operates in the world. And also, you know, for those of us women who do want, not all women want relationships, not all women want relationships with men, but the ones of us who do and who are feminists, how can we have equal relationships? And who do we have them with? And how do we negotiate all of that? And so I just thought about men I had met like that. And I have a lot of friends who are like that, you know. So it was just sort of, it came from that, really. He's not one particular person. Well, what is great is obviously it's a comedy. So what for comedy, you have to push it a bit further. And that's what you do. So I, I suppose the fact they meet at a fancy dress party and we start off with Robin Hood and Wonder Woman, it, it takes us to where we need to go. You you, you know you sort of you, and then we, we you, you're very good at killer lines and follow up lines. So I'm I'm impressed by all that. But was it fun then constructing particularly Steve? So he was going that bit further. So he's doing all this asking permission to touch this part of her and that part of her and all that. 
Um, it was fun, but also I discovered um, that that's what a lot of, um, if you look at kind of sex education for the young, um, and obviously I'm a bit older, but mm. like, so my generation, you know, was sort of finding it out for ourselves. But if you look at the way it's going now, there's this amazing enlightened sort of way of looking at it, which is that you do sort of have much more frank conversations mm. about what you want when you're starting out on a relationship. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. I mean, I'd never think to have had those conversations, you know, when I was sort of starting out with first boyfriends and, you know, did you want to be kissed yet or not mm. or how? You know, it was sort of quite revelatory to me. So, yeah, I mean, with the comedy, I think you can be much more serious and you can ask more serious things in a comedy mm. than you can in a tragedy. And so I wanted to sort of do that because you get people on your side, hopefully, and then you can take them places. Oh, you certainly did that. I mean, you know, the audience were falling about laughing and possibly like we were falling about, falling about laughing whilst holding hands, which I think is good, because it is a romantic comedy. What I think is quite funny is that there's new Bridget Jones films just coming out, and I, I'm, I'm think, I kept seeing it. I think someone else has said this as a film. Mm. I could see, could see that, and I thought maybe you might have cracked this one as well, but it would be a very different... Bridget Jones, and yet you've got those sorts of lineups of characters. You know that she's got a boss who's mm. a bit of a cad. She, what, it's an ex-boyfriend, but he's after everyone. But she's a much stronger character than Bridget Jones, I think. Dog Kate. I hope she's strong. I, I didn't want her to just be after a man, but I also, I was really, I love the screwball comedies of the 30s and 40s, and in those, mm. unlike in many contemporary rom-coms, I mean, I love a lot of rom-coms, mm. but. In the screwball comedies, mm. the women are chasing men, but they're doing it in a very determined, mm. um, forceful way. They're on a quest to find the person they're going to spend the rest of their life with, which, as I said, I think is an important decision and an important choice. And they're just going after them. And I thought, well, actually, we sort of doubt, we sort of, you know, we sort of say, oh, people are just chasing men or women are just chasing men. Mm. It's like this is a stupid thing to do. No, I don't think it is. I think the pursuit of love is important. And if you're going to attach importance to it, well, do it with as much sort of vehemence and rigour and determination as you can. Why not? Um, so I was very interested. I watched a lot of those old screwball comedies, like The Lady Eve is one of my favourites. And, um, uh, Adam's rib. I mean, just mm. really, and the women in that are really funny and powerful and sexy, and I was interested in that. Yes, it's like his girl Friday sort of thing. Yeah. Catherine Hepburn. Yeah, yeah. 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 anything with Catherine mm. Hepburn is yes. probably a good thing to start with. Yeah, mm. I love all of those. Mm. So I was interested in yeah, someone really powerful. I hope and feisty, but you know she. She's flawed. I mean, they're both flawed characters. That was the, sort of the idea. I'd like to say, aren't we all? I hope, yeah, I hope it's not just me then. <laughs> no, of course. And I don't mean that in a judgmental way. I mean, we are all. Yeah. And I, yeah. and I, I mean, I really love them both. So I wanted them mm. to end up together. Um, and I wanted it to be ultimately a romantic mm. piece. Um, I've never written a straight love story before. And I just thought it would be nice to see what that was like. Mm. <laughs> well, let's just talk... And then, I'm going to say the elephant in the room, but you know, it. This we are talking for Jewish Renaissance, and you've made her Jewish. And I've I've read in another interview that the whole point is that she just happens to be Jewish, which I think is is great. You know, I think you're absolutely right that it's not an important part of the character, but it's there. And again, it's part of her hinterland, isn't it? A part of the story. Her father's Israeli. All this stuff. I just feel like I see a lot of plays and a lot of films where the default is white 
atheist, vaguely CFE. And that's fine because mm. that is a lot what a lot of people know. That's not what I grew up with. My family are Iraqi Jews. Um, my father's family came via Israel and spent a long time there. And many of them are still there. I grew up in London, which is obviously, you know, lots of different kinds of people. And uh, my, that isn't my default. So I thought, well, why should I always be writing these characters who are, you know, why can't I write from the characters I know who have the same issues about love and you get asked a lot or I get asked a lot why is this character Jewish or why is, well I sometimes think maybe they just are and mm. maybe their Judaism doesn't isn't the isn't the motivator in that particular story you know in the search of love it might not be the the mm. only thing they might I have written a lot and will like write more about stories in which Judaism is more central but the other thing is I wanted her father who mm. is Israeli and grew up in the refugee camps at the very birth of the state I wanted to have that I thought that was an interesting story to tell and would give him a different take on I mean he's not a feminist but he's also come from a place where life was tough where you know um it was where you know he sort of has hasn't caught up I think with a lot of things over here and I was interested in that because a lot of his points of view are valid and um I don't want to <laughs> spoil the ending but he does I think redeem himself in the piece and you know I I was just interested in telling those different stories why do the parents always have to be just kind of these bland sort mm. of parents Oh, your parents are far from bland. It's a lot of fun for your actors, but come to that in a minute, because there are just two of them, and they get to play everybody. And um, it's big, that's and for me, that's almost the biggest fun than playing the next generation. But no, I felt really sorry for him. There's a really sad thing where the first time we meet him, he produces a veil in a bag, a plastic bag. It's his wife's veil um, from their wedding. But they're divorced. And naturally, Kate, the daughter, says, well, you know, sort of, but but you're divorced. And he says, ah, but we were happy then. That's why I'm talking about hinterland. You're very good at that. You do build up a very rounded picture, I, I think. Mm. So is that just ideas that pop into your head? Well, I was, I mean, for him, again, I was interested in the idea that he, his, his point of view is love is forever till mm. you die. And it hasn't worked out for him. But I thought that was quite a, a lovely sort of, you mm. know, um, a perspective that actually when you have found the right person you should cling on to them with both hands and work through your problems whatever they happen mm. to be and of course that doesn't work for everyone but I like the idealism of that mm. um, so yes I wanted to play with him as a sort of old romantic in lots of ways I don't want to give too much away I'll be very careful here but <laughs> I, I wouldn't be the only older woman who'd gone for him let's say <laughs> right well let's just talk about the, the the other parent, this wonderful green and common mum. So mm. they've got things in common, having both lived in tents, probably, he in the refugee camp and her in, in, on green and common. And that that is why young Steve is a feminist, because he's been brought up by mum on her own mm. at, at green and common. So that is quite an extreme and wonderful idea. So where did that come from? And do you know people like that? Or did you go off and research green and common? Um, I remember seeing them when I was very, very young on the TV and being very inspired by them. And I was very interested later on in feminism where the battle battle lines were much clearer. It was much less mm. muddled, I think. It's very hard to be a feminist now because there's uh, so many issues and I think we sometimes find it hard to kind of work out a clear path through them. And it seemed that things were clearer in the 70s and going mm. into the early 80s. And so I was interested in her 
coming from a very clear, strong perspective on that. Um, I was interested in her being very blunt and Scottish because I have met women who are who are like that and who are able to just say whatever they want. I really admire them, you know. I'm a bit more cautious than them. Um, I didn't know any, but I have met some women who were at Greenham since and I did lots of research. There's some amazing books out there mm. and lots of archive material. It was very well documented. And one of the things I really love was the sort of creativity of it. You know, they weren't just sitting there as a sort of blockade of people. Um, they were knitting colourful, glittery spider webs that they were putting on the fence. They were making these banners all the time. They were, uh, you know, sort of carrying out these kind of almost like theatrical little skits that were sort of... I mean, they were doing amazing things. Um, and they were attacking the, uh, the, the, the missiles and the idea of the missiles with sort of humour and wit and theatricality and creativity and I thought that was interesting as well. I'm just wondering, your eyes are shining somewhat. Do you think you might have been born out of time and you might have quite liked to have been a Green and Common woman? Oh, I think it would be quite cold and wet and I hate camping, so no. Um, but I was also interested with Steve, actually, that boys and well, men men were excluded from Greenham and then they could come at the weekends. And I was interested in that decision to have a woman-only space and how a boy who really identified with the, that cause would have felt about having to go... I mean, obviously, he was a child and, and he was at school during the week but you know but there being no men there during the week and that decision and there's a lot of questions now about women only spaces for feminism and I was just interested in sort of playing with that a little bit as well well as I say I think you very successfully play play with all of these things that you've found out or things that you want to put in or people you've known uh, it looks like you've had a lovely time I mean do you do this thing about plotting things on walls where, where do you put it all you know, do you do you do that? You yeah. know, some some playwrights do, I think. Um, yeah, I like index cards. I do a script edit film a little bit um, when I'm not doing this, and I also write these books. But the, all for all of those things, I got boards with index cards, and I like playwright. Um, but I also watched a lot of screwball comedies, romantic comedies, mm. and looked at the. I mean, the structures of those are quite um tight and there are sort of reversals that happen and you know in certain places I don't know if I've hit every one of those beats but I wanted to try that as just as an exercise really this is what I love about your writing you I think it's is it the father who's no good at cooking and he he he, he can only cook omelets with spring onions yeah. so he's with his daughter and this is the banter you can only cook omelets should I'll cook for you I'll cook I can cook and, and he then has this lovely topping line so you can't even wouldn't even put in the spring onions it would just be an <laughs> omelet and that's what I like and that I think is possibly from you know it does go with the screwball comedy but it's lovely and I think you've got a real gift for the comedy in that way Oh, well, thank you. I mean, I've, I love writing comically. I, I, I've never done anything as all-out comedy. As it, I mean, it's not a straight comedy. It sort of goes to some dark places, but it was a lot of fun. And I think um, I, I think a lot of those comedies have a sort of... Uh, <laughs> quite a sort of Jewish rhythm, if you look at the sort of the Nora Ephron's mm. and Neil Simon's sort of plays and um, films. There's a, lo there's a lot of kind of... Um, that speed, that mm. speed, and everyone coming in and topping everyone else's line. Um, so I was really inspired by all of those. Yes, well, we come back to the Judaism uh, again in a way now. Yes, yeah, so it's just nice because you can talk about 
trying to break the glass. I think in this particular case, it's not quite working. I've seen lots of weddings where the glass didn't break. But, it, <laughs> but of course, you know you're on the inside, so you can say, oh, it's not really a glass, it's a light bulb, which is nice for the non-Jewish audience to hear those things. So I, I, I think, you know, I like your decision to make her Jewish, but it, 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 it sort of doesn't matter, but it, it gives a... It, it rounds her, it colours her, doesn't it? I hope so. And I was just interested in the fact that when you go into a relationship, you don't go into it fresh. You go into it with whatever you come with, your history, your preoccupations, your stupid ideas about love, your, you know, everything that you have done and you're doing and your friendships, which might, you know, all these things can get in the way. And all these people, your your parents and your 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 exes are in your are in your relationship still in the way it's particularly at the beginning and you sort of have to work through how to sort of handle all that as a couple so I was just interested by you know giving giving them a bit more to work with there as I just wanted to see some of those characters on stage and they are a mixed couple you know and they, and they get married and there are questions about that it doesn't dominate but I was interested in the fact that he agrees um, Steve though he's not Jewish to break the glass and they have a rabbi bless their wedding. And I thought that was interesting. You know, I've been to lots of weddings where people have tried to mix in or have successfully actually mixed in elements of both their cultures. And that felt, that feels like a meaningful way to go into your future as a couple together and a way of saying what the discussions have been and where you're trying to go with them and the journey you're trying to go on together and what you're trying to build together. I just thought, well let's give them something to build you know yeah, and then we also got a, lo a lovely idea that the obviously the father is looking for um, a banqueting suite in Hendon and <laughs> the mother is obviously thinking green and common and yurts and the yurts went out having having married off a daughter in more or less in a yurt that's all good yeah it's fine <laughs> yeah I mean I think I've no I haven't been to a wedding in a yurt but I would I mm. would like to I did extensive mm. research on the kinds of alternative wedding venues that were out there and um, very much you know sort of found myself going oh it looks like a lovely place to get married I wrote this um uh before I met my my now husband so I wasn't researching my own wedding at the same time but um it was quite nice to sort of I had these fantasy weddings in my head you know that I'd researched for this couple which was quite quite pleasurable actually it's quite a fun bit of the research you prob probably really upset there's there's all these hopeful banqueting managers and yurt managers out there and they all thought they were going to get you and then you were just researching a play i did most of it online but there are some amazing wedding mm. blogs out there where people will have uh, huge numbers of photos of their weddings and all their decisions and i think the decisions you make about again about how you how and where you get married are a real statement about where you come as from mm. as a couple and where you're going and I was interested in having a wedding at the heart of this mm. well so, so, dare I ask where you did get married then you two oh not in a yurt <laughs> in London mm. but, but not perhaps in a banqueting suite in Hendon not in Hendon either <laughs> no. right okay just thought I'd ask before we leave the play both your actors get to play one other character and it is the ex Yes. So that's an interesting one as well, because you're, obviously that ex, as you said, is going to contrast with the new partner. Uh, and, well, one of them does, and one of them not so much, but maybe a bit. Yeah, I mean, they're both... Um, yeah, so Steve has been out with a quite a fierce, tough, um, very sure of herself, very unemotional feminist, and he goes for the complete opposite in Kate. I think actually, yeah, I mean... Um, Kate's the same. She's been out with this kind of cat um, who sort of fancies himself as a bit of a sort of bad boy figure, but it's just actually quite horrible to her. And she 
again goes to the opposite. So I think, I mean, I, I mean, they had quite a lot of fun creating those personas and and enjoying enjoying being sort of the opposite of what they had been for the most of the show. Isn't that great? I mean, it's like if you were if you were playing Cleopatra, it might be quite fun to play, you know, the rather wetter Octa- Octavia. <laughs> and how annoying it is to be Octavia and not get to play Cleopatra, but we're sort of talking oh, about that, aren't lovely, we? Yeah, yeah, that's a lovely <laughs> comparison. Yeah, I'm sure you would, actually. <laughs> great. One would be a break from the other, I think. Mm. Absolutely. I just want to talk about the production, which mm. I absolutely love. We've already established there's only two of them. So you have to have a way for them to change character. And if you're changing character, you change your clothes. So your director, Matthew Lloyd, I guess, is, and Carla Goodman, your designer, presumably got together on this. And we're changing to music. I, years ago, I saw a production of La Ronde with just two people in it. And they did all the changes on stage really quickly to music. And it's just, there's something about that. You You... The audience go with you. They want to watch you change. And I think we love the performers more as we watch them ageing. The, they're becoming the parents just by putting on glasses and a f- more frumpy clothes in the, in the case of mum. Plus the costume changes mm. on stage were there and mm. from the beginning. I mean, I, that You was, wrote them in. The, I mean, you know, Matthew and Carla have created something, um, like, you know, amazing. I mean, mm. what was amazing was sitting in rehearsal and when they first started doing the costume changes, they... Um, were quite slow and then it was like we put a bit of velcro here we put a popper there and you suddenly see actually how extraordinary you know a really good director and designer can really turn this into proper theatrical magic because they are changing in front of you but they're doing it I mean these clothes are are stage clothes you know Mm. they've become stage clothes with all the sort of velcro you can imagine (laughs) um and just watching the performers learn it and and um learn it really, well, uh, Matthew, the director, said to me, they learn it sort of in their bodies because there's no time to think. They change really quickly from one character to another. And if they can think, all they can think is about becoming the next person, not about where the popper goes. So it really becomes all about just just having a a physical memory of the last time you did this. Um, Yeah, but on top of that, there is also a slight knowingness because it's choreographed. Isn't it? So, so there's, there's, so you're slightly taking the audience into your confidence as you elide into the next character. I mean, they, they've got there very quite quickly then because they are definitely doing that. Yes, and um, there's other, we wanted it to be a play, there to be a playfulness and mm. a knowingness. I mean, it's a romantic comedy. You know, mm. we wanted it to be fun, and you know, to do it on stage, we want. Uh, I mean, you could do it with a cast of six. I'm, I hope if it gets done again someone does it so I can see it but actually mm. I always want it to be a cast of two because mm. I wanted the idea that everyone is still in your life you know that mm. and that you repeat patterns in your life you you go out with people who are a bit like people you've gone out with before or perhaps like one of your parents or siblings or whatever mm. and eventually perhaps you you make your peace with that or you break the pattern in order to find the person that you really want to be with and I wanted to play with that and how they're doing that and I mean, the other thing you do is try and go out with the person who's polar opposite of someone mm. you, who's been in your life um, to really smash that pattern. And they, I wanted to just play with play with all of that. The cast of uh, two actors, um, Tom Berish and Sarah Dakin, have been a total joy to work with and really um, embraced it. And I, I, there was a point a week into rehearsals where the costume started coming into play where I just felt really guilty because it just looked like they were going to have a really tough time I went home and sort of thought oh no I've ruined everyone's rehearsal it was all going so well before they had the costumes um but actually I love the pace that Matthew's put into the production and 
I think we, as you say, we like watching people. It's the most theatrical thing you can do mm. is to see someone or see, to see someone transform before your eyes. And I think about, you know, reading Peter Brook uh, when I was sort of just starting out wanting to make theatre about him talking about you draw a circle in an empty space and you mm. walk into the circle and then you become the character. And just that magic, and that's what, you know, this, the, the suspension of disbelief and the magic that we want from theatre... Um, that's that's what I want to see when I go to see the theatre. I want to see someone become another person. Well, I'm with you on this. Poor theatre is my thing, definitely. So, sorry, we're going off into our little theatre degrees and things here, I think. So there's lots of other writing, isn't there? Now, there was a children's show called Operation Magic Carpet. Tell me about that one, because uh, I know it's got a Jewish theme. Yeah, that was at the Polka Theatre. It wasn't a specifically Jewish theme. It was about an Iraqi family. Obviously, my family are Iraqi mm. Jews, um, but I made this family. I didn't specify their religion. They do live in Golders Green, so mm. some people... I was very happy for people to draw that inference, but I didn't want to exclude anyone or to make it too specific. And I also, slightly romantically, didn't want to tap into the sort of sectarian divides in Iraq now. So they're just Iraqi. And mm. as a lot of Jews felt, they were more Iraqi than Jewish in Iraq. Um, so this particular family are just Iraqi. And the little girl grows up um, wanting, as I did, to go to Iraq and fly on a magic carpet, which is what she imagines they do all day. And uh, her mother says, uh, her mother is upset and leaves the dinner table and she says, why is mum upset? And her uncle says she left her heart in Baghdad and she's very young and she takes it very seriously and she, I want to go to Iraq to get it. At that moment, because her wish creates a genie who pops out of the mango pickle jar, takes her to Baghdad, she gets into a little bit of trouble. <laughs> uh, it's a sort of romanticised, you know, um, but still quite dangerous Baghdad. She meets Sinbad, who turns out not to be a sailor anymore. It was for children, so it was at the Polka Theatre, and um, they gave it a beautiful production, actually. There's more more Jewish work coming, isn't there? Uh, well, I'm writing a play for a drama school, but that's that's not going to be a public performance. Um, Yet. It's about uh, secret Jews during the Tudor period. I did do a play um, at Birmingham and on tour called Cling to Me Like Ivy, which was about the Scheitel crisis. That was probably my most Jewish <laughs> Jewish play. But I've written quite a lot on... Oh, was that when the hair, was from, the hair wasn't kosher or something? Yes, from was India, yeah, and yeah. it was whether it was associated mm. with polytheism. It was about a girl about to get married and what was going to mm. happen to her wig, and then it through her whole question about her relationship into crisis. So um, I was very interested by that. Where did that come from? Did someone say, go away and write a play about the Scheitel crisis, or you just thought, this is a really good subject for a play, because it's uh, amazing? I was just fascinated by it. I thought it was fascinating that you had these young Jewish women in in the UK and Israel and mm. wherever else. There are Jewish communities in the world who were um, covering their hair f- for God. And in this temple in India, what was happening is the women, um, I discovered it's, it's amazing, really. They generate most of the hair that goes into the, into the international hair trade, so for extensions, wigs mm-hmm. and whatever. But um, women go there and they sacrifice their hair um, to wish for things. So, say, to wish for a healthy birth for their child or um, a good rice crop or whatever it happens to be. And... Um, so they're giving up their hair for God, and I thought it was just fascinating that these two these two sets of women never meet, but the hair travels mm. between them and creates this almost conversation that never happens. So I wanted to 
create that. I wanted to mm. have that conversation somehow. I started writing it uh, only a few a few weeks after it happened, so it was all still very. It was all still happening. In fact, it took months for that decision to be made, and I was just really fascinated. I had brilliant um, help from a few friends who were more orthodox than me and much more knowledgeable, and from a wig maker and tried on several wigs myself. I mean, my family don't wear shytles, but um, the first one I tried on was this fabulous kind of long blonde fabulous sort of princess hair wig and I thought oh I can see why people do this <laughs> I look amazing <laughs> I look like a supermodel I mean I was extreme you know but it was you know <laughs> in the mirror I just thought oh um but then that made me feel like well is this quite the point and so there were a lot of questions I wanted to sort of go through I threw up questions that issue it was, you know so that's there's going to be more questions more issues <laughs> more stuff that's Jewish and more stuff that isn't I'm guessing more fiction and more non-fiction, because there's non-fiction too, isn't there? Yes, I had a book out in 2014 called How to Be a Heroine, or What I Learned from Reading Too Much, which I wrote actually around the same time as writing this play, so it's also partly about um, going back to uh, Wuthering Heights and the other books that really influenced me as a girl, and looking at the heroines again, and these sort of fictional women who had sort of helped shape me and how I feel about them now. Um, so there was that, and I have a another non-fiction book coming out in January called uh, Take Courage and Bronte and the Art of Life and Bronte the littlest Bronte sister who no one cares about but her last words were take courage Charlotte take courage and she, when she was died at 29 so yeah so that's been quite interesting to research and I think she's the most radical of the three sisters I think you might be right and I can't <laughs> wait to read it and it just we should just say you're, and you're, you're married to a writer as well aren't you I am, yeah, who's a novelist, Jude Go Cook. You've got, you've got to just plug Jude Cook. <laughs> yes, his name's, he's a novelist and screenwriter. His name's Jude Cook, and his novel's called Byron Easy. Right, so we've got lots of books to buy. Thank you so much for oh, talking to you. me, Samantha. Thanks for having thank me. You.